Welcome to Talking Tuesday. I am your host, Fancy Quant, and today we're going to talk about a bunch of topics all kind of mixed together here. We're going to talk about the financial markets. We're going to talk about investors. Let's just dive on in here. So today is going to be August 19th, 2020, when I'm shooting this, of course, at noon here on my lunch break. Um, we want to talk about what's going on with the markets here. So I, I don't know. It's getting kind of dicey. I keep mentioning that we're going to see something coming. Uh, people keep saying, oh, it's not going to come. Um, yes, I've heard bankers. So actual people that work in the banking community with finance degrees, they keep saying really just dumb comments like, you know, Dimitri, another financial crisis isn't going to happen. We have the tools to mitigate it, right? We have CCAR in place. We have CSOL in place. Like, even if it occurs, everything's going to be okay. I just don't see another financial crisis ever coming. The market's at its best. It's record profits. It's booming. And everyone's super excited, right? And I'm looking at it like, all right, when everyone gets really excited and everyone's throwing money into a pool and there's a few people on the back burner saying, hey, look, we have some issues um, and they're clear issues, which we'll talk about here in a second. And then all of a sudden more people are putting money in and money in. Yeah, that drives the prices up, but that's because we're in a bubble. So I think we're in a bubble. I'm 99.9% .9 confident we're in a bubble here. Maybe that's way too confident. Um, from a risk management perspective, maybe I say we're 70, 75% probability we're in a bubble here. Uh, it's not looking good. Uh, so what's driving this? What do we see here? So one of the big factors I think a lot of people are just ignoring and not wanting to talk about uh, is what is inflation? So in economics 101, they teach you in undergraduate studies in the United States at least, um, and of course in Keynesian and all the other nonsensical economic theories, is that inflation is good for the economy. We want inflation because it makes stock prices go up, right? And that's true. But the reason it's true is because your dollar is becoming worth less and less and less over time. So those dollars are essentially ownership on some set of assets here, right? You look at a company, so traditional finance, so you break down you know, assets equals liability plus shareholders equity. Uh, when you generate this and you have capital uh, over time, right, you're generating profits. So therefore, you should see it going up in value. But at the same time, right, if you hold an asset, let's say that doesn't depreciate for some reason, which all assets do, but if you held a bunch of assets that don't depreciate, um, their value is still going to go up over time because you have inflation. I know it sounds kind of weird and people are stepping back, probably looking at me like I'm crazy, but you think about this, right? When the government's printing more money and people are getting into more debt, what ends up happening is it drives inflation. Inflation isn't good. And of course, when you look at economics as well, right, you talk a lot about avoiding stagflation, which is like when inflation gets so crazy and so unrealistic that somebody pays you, let's say $10 today, which will buy you a loaf of bread. And tomorrow that same loaf of bread is $1,000. And the next day it's $10,000 and it's $100,000. And then you're wheeling wheelbarrows full of dollars down the street and it's worth nothing. You can't even buy bread with it, right? So yeah, this has actually happened in countries all over the world here. The United States hasn't really had to experience this too much. Um, but that being said, right, inflation is a really, really big key component here. And what's driving a lot of this now is a lot of the, I don't want to get into social politics and all that here, but there's unrest with people being upset on wealth inequality, okay? Even though when you start looking at actual data and actual facts, right, the middle class is disappearing, but... The majority of that is going upward and only a small portion is going downward in the distribution. So overall society, we're all kind of shifting upward together. 
So even though some people in the middle are going down, we're all moving together, we're ending up in a better position. And yet people are upset, they're mad, right? They, they don't want this to happen. They have wealth inequality here. And so what ends up happening is we start doing more social programs and people say, oh, it's not a big deal. The government will pay for it, it's free money. <laughs> well, it's not free money. You have to either increase taxes or you have to print dollars. And when you print dollars, those dollars become worth less and less over time, which again is this massive issue we have with inflation. The United States has a massive debt that's booming and everyone always asks me, Dimitri, what happens when we default or can we just print money forever? Well, eventually other countries are gonna realize US dollar is not that great and we keep inflating it and they're gonna buy other assets instead that actually appreciate over time. Um, so yes, the United States is king in US dollars today. That might not always be the case. I know it's hard to believe, but it's very likely that we won't be on top for a long time. Um, it could go in a short period, could be a longer period. I don't really know, I'm not gonna predict that here, but US dollars might not necessarily be the global denomination in the long run. So you have all these things impacting it. And now with the COVID-19 here, again, which is an event that occurred, we kind of saw it coming. Nobody took it serious because China kind of fudged their numbers a bit. And then all of a sudden it blew up. The United States doing terrible. Europe, you know, Spain, Italy, for example, are doing really bad. Brazil was in a terrible situation itself. And we're seeing chaos everywhere. Uh, now you're seeing unemployment. So why is this important? Well, GDP is one of the biggest driving factors in an economy because it measures the gross domestic production. So how much output that country produces. If a portion of that country just stops working, your GDP by definition just goes down. So this should be pretty easy to see that unemployment rates and GDP are actually related. There's an actual causation relationship between the two. Um, so now what ends up happening is that we have less people working, unemployment's going up, what do we do? Government says, hey, we're really nice guys here, right? We're just gonna buy you, we're gonna give you money, we're gonna give you stimulus packages. And there's talk about, you know, well, we'll take it out of your, your tax refunds in the future, but given the amount of stimulus that people have been given, I don't think that's actually gonna occur. So where is that money coming from? Are they gonna tax the rich? No, they're having a hard time doing that because it doesn't make sense to penalize the businesses that are making money for you in the economy. Because if you penalize the businesses, right, and they stop operating, now you have higher unemployment rates. So what are they doing? Just print money, right? Just, just print more money, that'll, that'll just fix everything. Um, <laughs> so now we have this inflation bubble that's pushing and then on that social justice warrior piece here as well, right? Banks are in a tough spot as well because now people aren't making their payments on their loans. So your mortgages, your auto payments, your credit cards, you know, personal loans, anything like that, you need to make those payments back to the bank. And what people don't realize here is looking at the dynamics of it, which is when a bank, say a bank has, I don't know, let's say $100,000 and let's say they issue uh, 100 loans all at $1,000. Okay, at that point they have zero cash left. But if everybody's making payments, you end up with cash coming back. And as people pay those loans off, right, then over time, right, all those payments come in, you have more and more money and then you can make more loans. And you just keep churning this money through multiple people. So, so say you pay back your $1,000, the bank has $1,000 plus the interest rate. Uh, the interest rate is some profit, covers overhead, you know, regulatory fees, employees, bank tellers, all that type of stuff. And then they take that money and they reinvest it into somebody else and they just keep doing this. Well, the issue now is that banks don't want to look like a bad person during this crisis. So what's happening is they're saying, okay, I understand you can't make this payment, for example, say on your house or on your personal loan, your credit cards, or whatever. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna give you an extension. So say you had, I don't know, say a 30 year mortgage and you can't make the payment today. 
So you can't make the payment for this month, we'll just tack on one month and hey, just let me know if you can't make next month's payment and we'll see if we can work something out. And then you do a two month extension and then a three month extension and a four month extension and the extensions just keep getting longer and longer, which just makes your loan longer and longer and longer, okay? So, so far we're all good. Everyone's like, all right, seems like a fair and adjust thing to do. You're helping out your customers. The issue though is if that population of people that are getting extensions is too large, the bank's not gonna have enough payments coming in to make new loans, to pay the overhead, to pay the employees, to cover all their financial obligations to other people that they've done. So they actually loan money from different banks. So it's a whole other process here, but they take out loans as well. And so if they can't make those payments, then they're gonna default on those. So now it puts us in a tight spot that if you keep extending all these people, right? So say an example of 100 customers, if say all 100 customers, for simplicity, all got extensions, the bank has $0 coming back. So there's no principal coming back, there's no interest coming back, which is the profit. There's nothing coming in. So at some point, the bank's gonna have to lay people off and fire people. And at some point, they're gonna have to say, hey, you've been on an extension for six months, a year, two years, whatever it ends up being, we're gonna have to close you out and just default your account. So they're gonna have to close you out, right? That's how it works. And then a lot of times they can collect the assets. So if you have a house or a car or I don't know, an RV or some other thing, a vacation property or something, they can liquidate that and get some of the cash back, though a lot of times it won't make them whole, but at least they have some cash back to help kind of run the business and maintain things. Now the issue is when you have enough of these extensions going, what ends up happening is they default all at the same time a lot of times because the economic crisis will get worse to a point where no one else can stand it. And when one bank starts going down and they have obligations to another bank, then that bank will go down and the third bank will go down. And then you end up in the 2007, 2008 financial crisis. And then all these government people are jumping in trying to prevent it from crashing because we all saw it coming, but no one wanted to talk about it, right? So for the banks, I think you're just in a really tough spot, right? On one hand, if you don't do the extensions, then a lot of people in the public and the government specifically, because they're pretty corrupt and crooked as well, will come after you and say, hey, this bank is terrible. They don't care about their customers. They're not getting extensions, which is not really true here because a lot of times it actually protects the customer by having them default earlier, which is a whole other concept. There are sorts of loans, for example, some simple interest loans, where if you don't make payments, a lot of times you're in the payments that you do make, so you make partial payments, only cover the interest. They never knock down the principal and you can get stuck in that loan forever. So never own the asset that you're paying on. So it's, it's not always good to leave you in a loan or to give you extensions for perpetuity because it doesn't help the customer as well as it doesn't help the bank. So on the one hand, the bank's not gonna look good. If they don't look good, people might switch banks. They might say, hey, I don't like your bank, I'm gonna go to a different bank. So you have a social risk here, right? A marketing risk, a reputation risk. You don't wanna be the one that says, hey, we're not gonna do extensions. Uh, at the same time though, if everybody jumps on board and just does extensions, when the banks all go down, if everybody's in the same terrible situation, we're all gonna lose money. Banks could go bankrupt. Thousands of people could lose their jobs in these banking industries, which then would result in a lot of businesses who default on loans and them going under. And looking at this from the outside here, so just as a big person that's anonymous, just Googling things, right? You can see a smart decision for a lot of these banks would be, and I don't know if they're doing it or not, but they should be. Uh, banks should be essentially raising the credit quality limits. So banks build models and they score people based on your probability of default, for example, uh, and your credit worthiness. And they should essentially say that, okay, we had the bar here. Anybody that was you know, this good or better should get a loan. They should be saying, okay, we're gonna move that bar and ratchet it up a little bit because we don't wanna continue to make more loans that are gonna result in extensions and defaults. 
And we don't want to end up basically running out of capital and bankrupt. So even with CCAR and CSOL, which are regulatory requirements that require that you hold capital on the books to cover losses in the event of a crisis. So yes, CCAR from 2008, 2010 implementation of it, but from 2008 crisis. CCAR and DFAST specifically, and also CSOL, which is the credit current expected credit loss. Um, these types of regulations require that you hold capital to cover losses in the event of a crisis. But again, how big is that crisis? Who is it going to affect? Nobody really knows. So this is the bind that banks are in. This is the bind that financial institutions are in. And of course, you have people gambling on the side with this. So you have people that are just buying and buying and buying, and you see the stock market rising and rising and rising. We all think it's great and wonderful, but when it crashes, what's going to happen? The black swan theory is going to re-arise again. So I'm not a huge supporter of the black swan. I think markets react fairly slow. Um, it's just you don't pay attention. You don't see all the cues and the, the, you know, the indications, I don't know, the evidence, the facts, the things that are supporting the crash coming. So right now, I'm, I'm a crazy person, right? I'm waving my hands in the air. I'm the crazy person. I'm talking about the crisis. Nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, even one of the largest, biggest names in the finance community, it's not a bank. It's a, a different type of financial institution. Um, they came out and said, the, the crisis is over. There's nothing to worry about. Life is great. That little dip we had, that was it. Let's, let's just move on. Um, I don't think that's going to happen here. And so the black swan event is going to come back up. And what is this? Why do I not like this? So A, things occur in steps and events. It doesn't just magically pop up and this really, really rare event occurs. We all can see it coming, but we just choose not to do anything about it, right? Everybody says, hey, what if the market goes another 10% up? I don't want to miss out on that 10%. And I even had some rookie subscriber, you know, if you would have bought, you know, these tech stocks in this year and it went up to this year, you would have made all this money. And even if the market fell, you know, this percentage, you still would have made money. It's like, okay, well, A, you're making a lot of assumptions. One, you're looking at it 2020. So you're looking in the rearview mirror. Anybody can look back and go, wow, I would have made a lot of money. But looking forward, that's not, you can't see. So that's a pretty stupid idea. Making assumptions on how much the drop's going to be is also a dumb idea, right? It's easiest to pick a number out of a hat and say, well, we're going to hedge it. You know, I don't know, 40% drop will be good to go. No big deal. Don't worry about it. But what's going to happen is when the black swan, so air quotes around this happens, everybody's going to blame the markets. Everybody's going to be pointing fingers. So it's going to be, you know, the bank's fault, the finance department's fault, the corporation's fault, the government's fault, the employee's fault, the United States' fault, right? It's going to be all these people's fault. And no one's going to take blame for it. But in reality, we all are contributing to this in one way or another. Right? Government's printing money, creating inflation. There's a lot of stimulus going. They're trying to keep this bubble basically going without it popping, hoping that we can bridge the gap. I think it's a really dumb idea. Government should not be involved in kind of messing with economic markets. Again, that's my Austrian economics libertarian perspectives coming in here. Uh, but it's coming. Banks are in a tight spot. Credit just doesn't seem to be in a very good position as well. I think the crisis is going to hit and it's going to start with that credit issue where it's going to have people defaulting because, again, they don't have work, right? There's nothing you can do about it. Um, if you're an individual and you're listening to this and we still haven't burst by the time this podcast comes out sometime in, I don't know, September, October, um, save money, right? If you have extra money, save your money. Um, I've talked about gold and silver. The prices are going through the roof, so I don't think it's necessarily the best time to buy but again, the US dollar might not be the best thing. But again, worst case scenario, save just save your dollars, put them in a high yield savings account, right? Brace for the impact like banks are doing, right? They're holding economic capital to brace for these impacts. This is where I see this all coming. Uh, it's just going to be a nightmare. 
Anyways, that's kind of my perspective on what's going on here when 2020, COVID, recession, economics, everything kind of coming together as one big melting pot. Um, is there a possibility the markets are grand and amazing and we don't see anything happen? Sure. I'm, I'm not going to say there's a 0% probability, but I just don't think it's very large. Uh, there should be some sort of impact coming. Uh, the fact that we have people not working, unemployment's going up, GDP is going to go down, the cash flow system with extensions being granted by banks, that's slowing down cash flow transactions. Um, again, gold and silver, as I mentioned before, gold's raising through the roof. It hit 2000, it came down. Ton of articles on how you know gold is overinflated and it's gonna crash. And now I'm looking at it today, and it's like at 1993 an ounce. So we're getting close to that 2000 mark. I think we cleared 2000 yesterday again though. So it should be still going up. There are a lot of indicators and like pressure on here. And everybody tells me, Dimitri, Warren Buffett says not to buy gold. Well, guess what? Warren Buffett went out and bought the second largest corporation that does mining. Somebody said, hey, maybe it's just undervalued. Okay, well, why do you think he's shorting the banks and buying gold, right? Why would you sell your banks? That's how he got the capital to buy the gold shares, right? He knows the banks are in a bad situation, so he's getting out. It's a smart decision on his behalf. But anyways, thanks for listening to me. And as always, until next time.